are listening to Radio I, your source for printed news and information. This service is intended for listeners who are blind, visually impaired, or have other disabilities that prevent them from reading. All materials are read as written and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Radio I. For further information about this service, please call 859-422-6390 or visit our website at www.radioi.org. That's www.radioeye.org. Welcome to the reading of The Courier-Journal for Wednesday, March 1st. 2023. The Courier Journal is brought to our Louisville listeners via Louisville Public Media and is donated to Radio I by the Herald Leader. As a reminder, Radio I is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that makes it difficult to read printed material. Your reader for today is Blanca Michael Ward. We begin with the 11 First Alert Storm Team's weather forecast for the next several days. Today, expect a high of 77, a record high possible. Tonight, low of 51 scattered showers. Thursday, a high of 64, a low of 52. Rain returns late. Friday, a high of 65, a low of 38. Windy with heavy rain. Saturday, a high of 52, a low of 36. Dry and cooler. Sunday, a high of 56, a low of 39, mostly sunny, and Monday, a high of 64, a low of 44, partly sunny and pleasant. Your almanac readings for the Louisville area through 4 p.m. Tuesday are as follows. Temperature, a high of 61, a low of 49, normal high 52, normal low 34. Record high of 77 degrees was set in 1918 and a record low of 9 degrees in 1993. Precipitation for the 24 hours through 4 p.m. Tuesday, zero. Month to date, 2.70 inches. Normal month to date, 3.41 inches. Year to date, 8.06 inches. Normal year to date, 6.80 inches. Snowfall, 24 hours through 4 p.m. Tuesday, zero. Month to date, a trace. Normal month to date, 4.1 inches. Season to date, 5.9 inches. Normal season to date, 11.2 inches. Sun and moon, Wednesday, sunrise, 7.15 a.m., sunset, 6.36 6.36 p.m. Moonrise, 1.04 p.m. Moonset, 3.59 a.m. Thursday, sunrise, 7.14 a.m. Sunset, 6.37 p.m. Moonrise, 1.59 p.m. Moonset, 4.48 a.m. A full moon on March the 7th. The last moon, March 14th. New Moon, March 21st, and First Moon on March 28th. And now for a bit of weather history. On March 1st, 1983, the temperature dropped to 59 degrees in Honolulu while heavy rain hit California.
When the jet stream dips far south, Hawaii is cool, while California is wet. And here are today's headlines from the front page of the Courier-Journal. Invitation to join Asbury students quickly spread throughout campus and then the world. This tiny university drew 15,000 to pray. SCOTUS set to hear President's Relief Plan. 20 million could have entire balance eliminated. Suspect in shootout that killed three officers dies awaiting trial. And we begin with this story. This tiny university drew 15,000 to pray. Three times each week at Asbury University, students and staff pause at 10 a.m. for chapel. It doesn't matter what exam is coming in the following period or how many assignments you need to finish. Everyone stops what they're doing and they head to Hughes Auditorium. This faith-filled ritual is so ingrained in the campus that it doesn't seem uncommon to the students and staff there. But it's a deeply rooted tradition that separates Asbury from many of its peers in higher education. <clears throat> it also recently thrust Asbury into a national and international spotlight for much of the month of February. Most people on campus credit some combination of God and social media to the thousands of people who arrived in the two-stoplight town of Wilmore, Kentucky to pray and testify with Asbury students. The way the story of the revival goes, a few students lingered behind after a typical chapel service to pray. An invitation to join in quickly spread throughout campus and eventually to the world. By the third weekend in February, more than 15,000 people were on the small private school's campus to join in the impromptu revival. They came from as far as Singapore, and more than 160 universities were represented on the grounds. While the size, scope, and even the mechanics of the revival might seem extraordinary to outsiders and skeptical non-believers, the profound commitment to Christianity is part of the fabric of Asbury University. For more than 130 years, young people have sought out the school for its intimate class sizes, academic prowess, and its focus on faith. Asbury students are extremely intentional about practicing Christianity, and Jesus is just as present in their college experience as whoever their dorm mate might be. Underneath the revival and this unusual, colossal act of faith is an unwavering school culture built on serving God. We don't want to be the kind of place where the heartstrings get pulled in chapel, but in the classroom, it's about the mind, said University President Kevin Brown. <clears throat> Instead, he said, there's a porous transference between the two, and that kind of faith-based critical thinking is a way of life at Asbury. We want students to have their hearts stirred and spiritually enlightening ways in the classroom, Brown said, but also to be challenged in an intellectual or cerebral way. 
how a tiny liberal arts college became the center of a revival. Asbury has about 1,100 undergrads on campus. Brown says the annual tuition clocks in at nearly $31,000, but 99% of students receive some kind of scholarship. Roughly half the students are from Kentucky, and the rest come from 40 different states and 31 different nations. <clears throat> Just 16 miles separate Asbury University from the University of Kentucky. But the culture at the tiny liberal arts college is deeply Christian and unabashedly different from Wildcat country. No one would raise an eyebrow in Lexington if 15,000 people descended on Rupp Arena and its bustling downtown. That would just be any other game day. But in Wilmore, there's a small cafe where locals swear by the blueberry muffins, a single Chinese restaurant near an IGA, and a cozy string of boutiques. Students don't cram into bars and order pitchers of beer on Friday nights, and really, You'd be hard-pressed to find a restaurant in Wilmore with a wine list. Clusters of dorm mates aren't dressing up to go dancing at nightclubs, and instead, many are participating in WHAM, which stands for Worship Him at Midnight. Amenities are limited in Wilmore, and to many students, that's a perk. Senior Trent Holliday was still exploring his faith when he enrolled in Asbury four years ago. He went to high school in Houston, Texas, but he has family in Lexington. He was drawn to the tiny liberal arts college because of its swimming program and the chance to be closer to his grandparents, aunts, and uncles. Four years later, he believes being at Asbury has helped him focus on what matters in life. He says he's a better person, a stronger member of his family, and even a better athlete. You took some of those distractions that some other college students have and kind of take that out of the equation so that you could focus on other things, Holliday said. <clears throat> From the moment new students arrive on campus, Christianity is present in their education. Each class takes on a name, a hymn, and a scripture verse that identifies it for the four years there in Wilmore. This year's freshmen, sophomores, and juniors are called Restored, Ignited, and Courageous, respectively. The class of 2023 is called the Surrendered Class, and to senior, Izzy Miller, that means surrendering what the world says and really listening to what the scriptures say to find truth. She's a business major, and she's acutely aware that the Christian faith doesn't necessarily go hand-in-hand hand with a fast-paced, profit-focused business world. If that's the career path she takes, she'll be at the table with people from many faiths and worldviews. But at the same time, she's also being thoughtful about how she can use her education to have a greater impact on the world. Miller is currently taking a class called Business as Mission. The coursework challenges her to see beyond the profit of business and to find ways to incorporate serving God into the daily grind. It's a kind of, it's kind of viewing like the business world as a mission field 
and how we can have sustainable businesses that like have God's kingdom impact, she said. More time with Jesus is never a bad thing. Perhaps the most notable tradition on campus is the one that started the revival in the first place. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, all of those 1,100 undergrads pack into Hughes Auditorium for chapel. It's not always easy <clears throat> to switch from classroom mode into chapel mode, Miller said, but it's an important opportunity every few days to help reorient their hearts toward God. Holiday admits that sometimes he struggles with it, but he says that even when he's not 100% excited about going to chapel, he knows that spending more time with Jesus is never a bad thing. Jesus is planting the seed in my heart, and even though I might not be fully present or fully aware of what the chapel speaker is talking about, Jesus is still there, Holiday said. He still wants you to grow in him. The staff does its best to add variety to the lineup, said Abby Laud, who manages communications for Asbury. They know the auditorium is filled with students of faith, but they're also hyper-aware those kids still balance the stressors and distractions that all young adults do. <clears throat> Sometimes faith leaders from nearby communities preach. Other times, the school welcomes a bluegrass band or invites a faculty member to lecture on a topic. The chapel service that started it all on February 8th wasn't extraordinary by any means, Brown said. And weeks after the fact, many students and faculty even struggled to remember exactly what the topic was. But somehow, on that day, the chapel service kept going. When the administration realized what was happening, it sent an email out to campus encouraging students to participate as their schedules allowed. We knew there was something bigger happening, Brown said. And once it hit social media, that prayer and testimony didn't stop for two weeks. Outside of Wilmore, that may seem like an extraordinary concept, but really, all it takes is walking around Asbury University to understand how it happened. The students in this tiny town don't just follow Jesus. Instead, they carry him in their hearts to every class and every moment of their college experience. The heartbeat of this small Kentucky college is its Christian faith. And with this revival, the world was offered a small glimpse. We continue with this stu story. SCOTUS set to hear President's relief plan. 20 million could have entire balance eliminated. This was written by Ray Johnson. <clears throat> After a month-long legal standoff, President Joe Biden's student debt relief plan will finally get its day in court Tuesday, with the result set to impact millions of borrowers nationwide. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear arguments regarding two lawsuits brought against Biden's plan, which would provide some relief from Americans' collective $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. The plan, originally announced in August, 
would give relief to about 43 million Americans, 20 million of whom could have their entire debt balance eliminated. In Kentucky, thousands of borrowers stand to benefit if and when the program clears its legal hurdles. Here's what we know about the plan while it's in limbo with the Supreme Court. Who benefits from Biden's student loan forgiveness plan? For, bo for borrowers who make less than $125,000 a year or households with an income less than $250,000, Biden's debt forgiveness plan could provide up to $10,000 of relief. For folks who received a federal Pell Grant, loans given to undergraduates with exceptional financial need, the forgiveness could be up to $20,000. Who's challenging Biden's student loan forgiveness plan? Biden announced his plan to forgive student loans in August via executive action, but the plan has been controversial. In September, six Republican-led states, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and South Carolina, filed a lawsuit to challenge Biden's plans for student debt forgiveness, arguing that Biden acted beyond his authority. Two individual borrowers also sued the administration, claiming they wouldn't receive enough aid from the program and were thus harmed by it. A federal judge in Missouri ruled against those states in October, saying the states failed to establish legal standing and that the court did not have jurisdiction over the case. Hours later, however, a federal appeals court issued a stay prohibiting Biden from continuing forward with his plan to forgive student loans. A second block was placed on Biden's plan in November by a U.S. District Court in Texas. The Biden administration argues that it has grounds to cancel student loans based on a law that allows the federal government to cancel debt during cases of emergency, like the COVID-19 pandemic. What are experts saying about how the case could go down? The Supreme Court must decide if Biden overstepped his authority or if those challenging the order, states and individual borrowers have standing to sue. <clears throat> Some experts say the Biden administration could convince the Supreme Court that the wrong plaintiff sued, and if it does, then the administration could win the case. Others say federal courts are making it more difficult for federal agencies to make major policy decisions without consulting Congress. An appeals court, for example, ruled against the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, also known as DACA, which is an Obama administration policy that protects, protects undocumented immigrants brought to the U.S. as children. The Supreme Court also stopped a mandate from Biden requiring vaccine or testing requirements for employees at large companies. They also denied the Environmental Protection Agency attempt to reduce power plant emissions. How many Kentuckians could benefit from Biden's student loan forgiveness plan? More than half a million Kentuckians are eligible for some form of student loan debt forgiveness, according to an estimate from the Biden administration. Of that number, roughly 394,000 
our Pell Grant recipients. And now this story. <clears throat> Suspect in shootout that killed three officers dies awaiting trial. This was written by Lucas Allback. The man accused of killing three police officers and injuring several others in a shootout over the summer in eastern Kentucky has died while awaiting trial. Lance Stortz, who had been in custody since the shooting on June 30, 2022, was being held at the Pike County Detention Center, according to Floyd County Sheriff John Hunt. While Hunt said he could not confirm additional details while jail officials investigate the death, the Lexington Herald-Leader reported Stewart's had died by suicide, according to Floyd County Commonwealth Attorney Brett Turner, who did not return a Courier-Journal request for comment Tuesday morning. Stewart's, who was 49 at the time of the shooting, had been accused of opening fire on officers as they attempted to serve a domestic violence warrant at his home in Allen, a town of roughly 160 people in eastern Kentucky. Floyd County Sheriff's Deputy William Petrie, Prestonburg Police Captain Ralph Frazier, and Prestonburg Officer Jacob Chaffins died in the hours-long shootout. At least four other people were injured and a canine officer named Drago was killed as well. They encountered pure hell, Hunt told the Courier-Journal in the aftermath of the shooting. They had no chance. Stortz was due back in court in late March for a pre-trial hearing in the case, which could have resulted in the death penalty. He was charged with three counts of murdering a police officer, six counts of attempted murder of a police officer, two counts of first-degree assault of a police officer, one count of first-degree assault of a police animal, and one count of fourth-degree domestic violence. The summer shootout rocked Floyd County and the surrounding community, including tight-knit Prestonburg, the county seat, about five miles from the site of the shooting. Prestonburg Police Chief Randy Woods said the community had been turned on its head in the aftermath of the three-hour standoff, with the victims honored in several vigils during the following days. Stortz had moved to the community about 18 months before the shooting and had no prior criminal history in Kentucky ahead of the incident. He had been accused of domestic violence earlier in the day of the shooting, and officers who responded to the scene were serving an emergency protective order that had been filed against him by a family member. We continue with this story. Another measles case reported in Kentucky. This was written by Ray Johnson. The Kentucky Department of Health confirmed a case of measles, a contagious respiratory virus, on Friday in a Jesmond County resident who officials say attended the Asbury University revival. The health department also cautioned that the individual was unvaccinated and that the case was the third identified in Kentucky in the last three months 
according to a press release from Bryce Mitchell, spokesperson for the Cabinet for Health and Family Services. The first case was diagnosed in December 2022 in Christian County and was linked to an outbreak in Ohio that sickened 85 children. Another case was reported in Powell County in January with no known connection to what happened in Ohio. What happened at the Asbury Revival? A spiritual revival took place at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, beginning on February 8th and continued for two weeks after it went viral on TikTok. Students extended a regularly scheduled worship service to stay and pray, resulting in nearly 3,000 participants who had spread across the Hughes Auditorium and four other facilities by February 14th, according to a report by NBC. When did the Kentucky Revival end? University President Kevin Brown ended the service for the general public on university grounds on February 20th, though he extended services for college and high school students through the week. A subsequent event Saturday at Rupp Arena in Lexington was hosted by Pulse Movement and drew hundreds of people. What should Asbury Revival attendees do? Health department officials are urging Asbury Revival attendees to quarantine for 21 days and to seek immunization with the measles vaccine, which is safe and effective if they were in the crowd on February 18th, according to Dr. Stephen Stack, Department Commissioner. Do not arrive at a health facility without advance notice to reduce exposure, he added. Attendees should seek testing with a medical professional if they experience symptoms of measles, which include signs of a normal respiratory infection like fever, cough, conjunctivitis, and a runny nose, and followed by a rash three to five days after other symptoms. The Public Health Department is collaborating with Asbury University, the Jessamine County Health Department, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to investigate the cases of measles, the release said. The department is also working to promote the measles vaccine in communities with low uptake, the release said. Measles vaccinations in Kentucky kindergartners are among the lowest in the nation. This, in, this concludes readings for the first sections of the Courier-Journal for this Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. Stay tuned for the Metro section to follow immediately. Your reader has been Blanca Michael Ward. This is Tom Lewis, the new executive director at Radio Eye. I feel thrilled and blessed to join the Radio Eye team, and I'm so excited to be part of what the future holds for us. And I do mean us. As a listener, you are an integral part of the Radio Eye team. What we do, we do for you. We strive to inform you and hopefully enrich your life in the process. So we sincerely want your input. I'd love to hear from you. If you have programming feedback or ideas, please feel free to email me at tom.lewis at radioi.org or call 
422-6390. Thanks. We now continue reading from the Courier-Journal for Wednesday, March 1st, 2023, and we turn to the Metro section beginning with today's obituaries and death notices. Walter Edmund Anderson, 81. Joyce Marie Bamforth, 83. Elizabeth Libby Morgan Barrett, 0. Bernice Benningfield, 80. Jack Lloyd Black, 91. Linda K. Borm, 78. Billy Carpenter, 80. Robert Bob Harry Ford, 80. Raymond Mason Golden, Jr., 81. Mildred Jean Greshel, 87. Jerry E. Heron, Sr., 79. Linda Jones, 71. Sek Wong, 95. Robert E. Bob Mason, 88. Sharon Norman, 72. Cheryl L. Polk, 66. Stephen Frederick Pusserdin, 82. Kathy Powell, 61. Stephen Rutherford, 61. Juanita Letha Danner Schaff, 86. Irvin Sellers, Jr., 78. Orrin Curtis Boz Webster, 87. Shirley Ann Wellman, 78. Floella Flo Whitmer Davis, 85. Larry Ray Yelder, 71. Downtown Hind Brothers Coffee Location to Close Doors. This was written by Ray Johnson. A Hine Brothers coffee location in downtown Louisville will soon be closing its doors, a community spokesperson confirmed to the Courier-Journal. The last day of operations for the Louisville-based coffee chain's 4th Street store will be March 17th, spokesperson Tyler Glick said. Deciding to close a store is never easy but traffic at our 4th Street location is simply not where it needs to be to justify continuing to operate this store, officials said in a statement. Baristas who work at the 4th Street location will be offered positions at alternative locations, Glick said. The Heinz Brothers store at 5th and Main Streets in the PNC Tower will remain open. We look forward to seeing people drop by when they're in the area, official said. Employees at all 17 currently operated Hine Brothers locations voted to unionize in September. It was unclear if an agreement was put into place prior to the latest closure announcement. The company announced the closure of its Douglas Loop location in June, prompting accusations of union busting from workers. The closure marks the second coffee shop shutting down in the area. A licensed downtown Starbucks near the 4th Street Live area also closed this month due to a lack of payment from the licensee, company officials said. And now this. 
Rural superintendent resigns arrested on weapons charges. This was written by Ray Johnson. A Kentucky school superintendent resigned last week, a day before he was arrested on charges of carrying a gun onto school property. The McCrary County School Board accepted the resignation of John Gunn last Monday. Tuesday, he was charged with unlawful possession of a weapon on school property. According to the arrest citation, video from the district's camera system allegedly shows Gunn attempting to enter the McCrary County Board of Education building at 6.02 a.m. He admitted to having the handgun in his possession while trying to enter the building. Most of the board voted in favor of Gunn's resignation, but two members voted against his removal. After reviewing the information that was given by the board attorney, KDE and OEA, I don't see any grounds for dismissal, board member Stacy Hammonds said at the Monday meeting. I don't think it's in the best interest of the district to accept the resignation. At a board meeting the following Wednesday, it appointed Larry Hammond as the interim superintendent. Hammond was previously a superintendent at the Rockcastle County School District and has worked for the Kentucky Department of Education, among other positions. We continue with this story. Louisville Visitor's Guide, Local Artists' Work Helps Draw Tourists. This was written by Ray Johnson. Louisville Tourism released its annual visitor guide last week, and as usual, it's full of places to visit for both locals seeking a new experience as well as tourists spending a weekend in Derby City. The 96-page guide features a cover illustrated by local watercolor artist Bree Bowers, known for producing paintings of well-known Louisville bars, restaurants, and landmarks, according to a release from the Tourism Department. Bowers' artwork is Kentucky-centric, featuring iconic Commonwealth favorites like the Hot Brown, Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory, and horse racing at Churchill Downs, the release said. She's even helped one of the city's hometown heroes and rapper Jack Harlow with tour merchandise. Being asked to illustrate the cover of the Louisville Visitor Guide was an honor, said Bowers. I have so much pride in Louisville and knowing that my work may be someone's first impression of our city is really powerful. My career was built from the people in the city fiercely supporting me, and it's an honor to represent it to locals and visitors alike. The guide has stories focused on Louisville's urban, bourbon experience, century-old businesses, the best selfie spots, architecture, how to enjoy Louisville's official cocktail, the Old Fashioned, along with tips for a year-round Kentucky Derby experience. The guide usually has a photograph of a single prominent Louisville location, the release said. But Bowers brought together several local businesses for the cover, including Doo Shop, Big Bar, Waterfront Park, and the Louisville Slugger Field. The Louisville Visitor Guide has suggestions from planning a full trip to getting the most out of an afternoon visit with ideas for where to stay, attractions, restaurants, shopping, and entertainment, 
as well as a yearly event calendar and maps. The guide can be found at the Louisville Visitor Center at 301 South 4th Street and other select venues throughout the city. The guide can also be ordered online at https colon backslash backslash www.gotolouisville.com backslash travel hyphen tools backslash visitor hyphen guide backslash. We continue with this story. Kentucky, excuse me. There are three photographs on the third page of today's Courier-Journal depicting students protesting. North Oldham students protest against Senate Bill 150 and House Bill 470. About 20 students walked out in a peaceful protest against Senate Bill 150 and House Bill 470 and to show support for the LGBTQ plus community Tuesday at North Oldham High School. The students joined those from several other schools around the state who have planned walkouts recently in protest of the bills, including students in Danville, as well as at Ballard and Atherton High Schools and the J. Graham Brown School. We continue with this story. Ark Encounter Creation Museum voted Best in Nation by USA Today readers. This was written by Ray Johnson. Kentucky's Ark Encounter and Creation Museums were both named among the nation's top religious museums by USA Today readers. Readers ranked the Kentucky Museums in the top two spots in USA Today's 10 Best Readers' Choice Best Religious Museums poll for 2023. The Ark Encounter, a $100 million Christian theme park in Williamstown that features a five-story replica of the biblical Noah's Ark, topped the poll of 18 nominations with the most readers' votes. The Ark's sister site, the Creation Museum, a 75,000-square-foot structure in Petersburg, which demonstrates Earth history as God has revealed it in the Bible, came in second. Voting for USA Today's poll was halted during the pandemic, the release said. But the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum, operated by Answers in Genesis, a Christian apologetics organization, both ranked in the poll in 2020 as well. I'm thrilled that more and more families have been discovering and enjoying our wholesome, God-honoring attractions in our constantly changing culture, said Ken Ham, CEO and founder of both museums. The voting confirms that our area is America's leading faith-based destination. I'm very grateful that our international attractions have been recognized like this. The Ark Encounter opened in 2016, according to the museum's website. Guests can also visit a zoo, virtual reality experience, family programming, and playground. The release estimates that over a million visitors flock to the Ark each year. The Creation Museum, about 40 miles from the Ark Encounter, 
features a chronological retelling of biblical history in seven parts via almost 150 exhibits that include animatronic dinosaurs, talking heroes of faith, and displays that honor God's word, its website states. It also has a 200-seat special effects theater, a planetarium, a petting zoo, and nature trails. It sees about 500,000 guests annually, according to the release. Other museums on the poll included Washington, D.C.'s Museum of the Bible, the Biblical History Center in LaGrange, Georgia, the Ritzman National Museum of American Jewish History in Philadelphia, and the Loyola University Museum of Art in Chicago. Now this story. Dairy Castle opens again next week. This was written by Dahlia Gabor. A seasonal Louisville restaurant is about to reopen. Dairy Castle, the popular fair-weather quick-service restaurant and ice cream stand, will reopen at 575 Eastern Parkway on March 7th. The restaurant typically stays open from March to September, but last fall had to close in early August due to a staffing shortage. Here's what to know about its upcoming 2023 season. When is Dairy Castle open? Dairy Castle reopens for its 2023 season on March 7th. The restaurant is open between 11 a.m. and 9.30 p.m., Monday through Saturday and Sunday from noon to 9.30 p.m. Does Dairy Castle take credit cards? No, Dairy Castle purchases are cash only. What is on the menu at Dairy Castle? Dairy Castle has been serving ice cream, chili dogs, and other treats since 1976. Ice cream cones or cups run between $2 and $3.75 at Dairy Castle, while waffle cones run $2.75 to $3.50. The restaurant also serves flurries with one topping, $4 to $7, ice cream floats and sodas, $2.25 to $4.25, slushies, sundaes, and hot food items like hot dogs, nachos, and tacos in a bag. We now turn to the community forum page, and we have this Your Turn piece written by Kentucky Teachers of the Year. Kentucky Teachers of the Year rebuke legislation targeting LGBTQ students. Being a young person is difficult in this moment because schools have become the proxy battle of a culture war being fought by two impassioned sides. Teachers must navigate this moment with care, showing respect not only for every single student, but also for their families and their communities. We believe that teaching is not about directing students to become any specific version of a person. Teaching is about giving students and families the resources to become the best versions of themselves as they direct their own beliefs. We believe in teaching, reading, writing skills, mathematics, science, history, and a wide range of elective offerings that meet the needs and goals of families and communities. 
We believe in showing and teaching basic kindness, empathy, and respect for all students and communities. As such, we, the undersigned, current and former Kentucky Teachers of the Year, formally denounce the proposed legislation targeting LGBTQ students, their families, and their rights to freely choose their own destiny without government intervention. Particularly, intervention shown to be harmful to students' sense of self-worth, to remove parents' rights, and to run contrary to the medical advice of the American Medical Association, American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, American Academy of Pediatrics, American Counseling Association, National Association of Social Workers, American Public Health Association, and the American Psychological Association. We specifically oppose Kentucky Senate Bill 150, Kentucky House Bills 173, 177, and 470, and any other legislation that removes parents' rights to determine the lives of their own children, including their health care or ways of being called, as well as any legislation that separates children from their classmates or requires schools to document or pathologize students' behaviors or identities. This was signed by Mandy Pettis, 2023 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Willie Carver, 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Donnie Piercy, 2021 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Aaron Ball, 2020 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Jessica Duenas, 2019 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Kelly Clark, 2018 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Ron Skillern, 2017 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Ashley Lamb Sinclair, 2016 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Sarah Reed, 2015 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Holly Bloodworth, 2014 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Kimberly Shearer, 2012 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Erica Schmelzer-Webb, 2011 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Darrell Butch Ham, 2010 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Chandra Emerson, 2008 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Patrice McCrary, 2003, Kentucky Teacher of the Year. We continue with this story. Winter storms strike across U.S. Snow blankets parts of California, New England. This was written by Amy Taxon and Mark Pratt with the Associated Press. Beleaguered Californians got hit again Tuesday as a new winter storm moved into the already drenched and snow-plastered state with blizzard warnings blanketing the Sierra Nevada and forecasters warning residents that any travel was dangerous. Bookending the country, a winter storm in the Northeast closed or delayed the opening for hundreds of schools as the most significant snowfall of what has been a mild winter hit overnight. And Michigan, again, fought a battle with ice after a new storm that hit Monday left thousands of customers without power in the central part of the state. 
to the southeast around Detroit, some customers still lack power for a sixth day after a previous ice storm. California mountains bombarded. Several feet of new snow was expected at higher elevations in California. On the eastern flank of the Sierra, the Mono County Sheriff's Office bluntly tweeted late Monday, the roads are closed, all of them. There is no alternate route, back way, or secret route. It's a blizzard, people. Winter storm warnings were posted in many of Southern California's snow-laden mountains, where the new front was expected to last into Wednesday. Winter storm warnings also span the length of the Oregon coast. California is still digging out from a series of almost non-stop storms. San Bernardino County, east of Los Angeles, declared a state of emergency after many mountain residents were trapped in their homes over the weekend and hundreds of motorists were stranded. In the San Bernardino Mountains, Michael Johnston, 44, said his family's grocery store was running low on key inventory even though they stocked up before the storm. The sheriff's office is escorting two full grocery trucks up to the mountain community, Johnston said, just in time for the new storm to add as much as a foot of snow. We're completely out of bread. Milk is getting really light. We're almost completely out of produce, said Johnston of Goodwin and Sons Market in Crestline, California. Beer, domestic beer, is really, really low. With five feet of snow on the ground, Johnston said, many of the store's employees can't make it to work, so he has been using a plow truck to shuttle them to and from work for limited hours. Most customers are coming in on foot. Northeast finally gets snow. As much as seven or eight inches of snow blanketed some communities in the Northeast by Tuesday morning. We've had no winter until now, said Harry Craven, owner of Highland True Value Hardware and Bike Shop in Holyoke, Massachusetts. But we've had people coming in the last couple of days for ice melt and shovels, some people this morning looking for parts to do repairs on snowblowers. By our standards, this hasn't been a blockbuster storm, but I'm happy with it. Nationwide, there were about 500 commercial flight cancellations and more than 1,400 delays by midday, according to FlightAware.com. A winter storm warning covered parts of the Northeast, including Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Rhode Island. Heavy snow was forecast through Tuesday afternoon. The snow complicated the morning commute on Boston area highways and the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority reported power losses that affected signals on multiple lines and stations. Even after power was restored, residual delays were expected, the MBTA tweeted. A crash involving tractor trailers on Interstate 91 in Connecticut caused minor injuries. I strongly encourage everyone in Connecticut to stay off the roads on Tuesday morning unless absolutely necessary, Governor Ned Lamont said in a statement. Three special elections for the Connecticut House went on as scheduled. Two to five inches of snow fell across New York City, depending on the borough.
parts of Manhattan barely got any, and instead of sticking on heavily trafficked streets and sidewalks, it turned into a mushy mess during the morning commute. In the Bronx and Brooklyn, there was enough snow that residents had to brush off cars and shovel sidewalks. The Albany, New York area saw less snow than expected, two to five inches, but enough to close schools. We continue with this story. 65 migrants killed in Italy shipwreck. This was written by Paolo Santalucia and Luigi Nevada with the Associated Press. Dateline Crotone, Italy. Rescue teams pulled more bodies from the sea on Tuesday, bringing the death toll from Italy's latest migration tragedy to 65 as prosecutors identified suspected smugglers who allegedly charged nearly $8,500 each for the voyage of death from Turkey to Italy. Authorities delayed a planned viewing of the coffins to allow more time for identification of the bodies as more and more desperate relatives and friends arrived in the Calabrian city of Crotone in hopes of finding their loved ones, some of whom hailed from Afghanistan. I am looking for my aunt and her three children, said Aladdin Mohibaza, adding that he drove 25 hours from Germany to reach the makeshift morgue set up at a sports stadium. He said he had ascertained that his aunt and two of the children died, but that a five-year-old survived and was being housed in a center for children. We are looking into possibilities to send them the bodies to Afghanistan, the bodies that are here, he told the Associated Press outside the morgue, but he complained about a lack of information as authorities scramble to cope with the disaster. We are helpless here. We don't know what we should do. At least 65 people, including 14 children, died when their overcrowded wooden boat slammed into the shoals about 100 yards off the shore of Kutro and broke apart early Sunday in rough seas. 80 people survived, but dozens more are feared dead since survivors indicated the boat had carried about 170 people when it set off last week from Izmir, Turkey. Aid groups at the scene have said many of the passengers hailed from Afghanistan, including entire families, as well as from Pakistan, Syria, and Iraq. Rescue teams pulled two bodies from the sea on Tuesday, bringing the toll to 65, police said. This concludes excerpts from the Courier-Journal for Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. Your reader has been Blanca Michael Ward. Please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio I.